I invite you to open uh, the copy of God's Word you have to Romans chapter 11. Uh, if you don't have your own copy, there's a red pew Bible in front of you you can borrow. Romans chapter 11 is near the uh, end of the Bible in the New Testament. It's a letter from a man named Paul who wrote to a church in Rome. Uh, we've been going through this letter since January 2015. And we've come now to the end of chapter 11, Uh, now here today. We'll finish off Romans chapter 11. Let me tell you something about people that that you already know. You already know this to be true about people, and you'll immediately be able to think of certain people who are prime examples of what I'm talking about. Okay, it's this. People are self-obsessed. I think we all can agree on that. We all know, yes, that is true. People are indeed self-obsessed. Think about it. When someone goes to look at a group photo, who's the first person they look for? Self. Uh, My eldest daughter is a prime example of this. Every day she wants to look at pictures, pictures. And you say, well, who do you want to look at? Me. (laughs) That's always her first thing. We say, what about your siblings? Me. No, right? So it starts young. It's not something you've learned over time. It's just in us. We are self-obsessed people. But self-obsessed people are not just in vanity. Those people who spend an hour in front of the mirror or or make great use of a selfie stick, those are not the only self-obsessed people. Self-obsessed people can also try so hard to go unnoticed because they're self-obsessed. They don't want people knowing them or seeing them or them being exposed, the the idea of who they can portray to other people is not quite squeaky clean yet, so they're so self-obsessed, they hide. Those people are self-obsessed too. All people, in different ways, are self-obsessed. That's the way we are as human beings. And because people are self-obsessed, it's evident that the world revolves around them. Them. In everything. All the decisions people make, do you really think it's for other people? No. You buy the house you buy because you're self-obsessed. You get the job you get. Not because it makes money, but maybe, but because you're self-obsessed and you want the money and you need to look better or something. It's about a focus on self. That's why people do all that they do. It's because they have self in mind first and foremost. Their world revolves around them. Every decision they make, they're concerned about number one. That's themselves. It's so interesting to to study even yourself and you think, yeah, I'm like this. And everybody I know is like this. We see uh, in this morning in our verse, we're going to see a dramatic paradigm shift, though, from a self-focused person and a change of worldview. It's a complete change of worldview altogether. The worldview is, is the way that you see, you view the world. It's how you interpret all things. Every person operates out of a worldview. Every person does. It shapes how you take information in. Your worldview shapes how you process information. And your worldview shapes how you act on information. Darwin had a worldview. His worldview of God was very different than my worldview of God. Nietzsche had a worldview that said, God is dead, I am God. 
So then he filtered everything through that worldview. All the information he saw was, well, God's dead. And so, therefore, it can't mean that this thing happening is God who is active. Because to me, God is dead. So filters that information coming in. And then how he's going to understand it. And then how he's going to act on it. It all is filtered by what we call a worldview. Every single one of us in this room has a worldview on how we see the world, how we think about it, and how we act on it. So here this morning, we're going to see a worldview shift, a a complete change of worldview, a worldview that is unlike what we are used to as self-obsessed people. At the end of Romans chapter 11, I'm going to read the uh, the first few verses before the verse we're looking at this morning. But if you find uh, verse 33 near the end of the chapter, Romans 11 and 33 to the end says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This last verse... Verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. In there, we see two sort of categories. A category of doctrine and one of devotion. Doctrine being teaching or understanding and devotion being life. So you see these two in a single verse. But the verse begins with a word that's really important. It's the word for. He's about to explain based on something he's already discussed. He says, this is the reason. For, from God, and through God, and to God are all things. So why is he adding this to what he's just said? Well, Romans 9, 10, and 11, we've been looking at as a church is perplexing. It's difficult. And here, Paul uh, finishes this chapter where I just read in verse 33 saying, Oh, the depth of the riches, of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Like, you can't wrap your mind around it. It is so deep, it is so high, it is so far-stretching, you can't begin to grasp the, the wisdom and the knowledge of God. But then I love what he says in verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? And then, who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid? For, from God, are all things. That's where he goes. So he says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Have you counseled God? Have you given him new information? Have you helped him out one time when he didn't really know something? He didn't know something about you? Or maybe he didn't know how to act? And so you just said, hey God, I need that million dollars. I know you didn't know that, but does he not know something? And so you've given him new information. Well, no. It says, who's been his counselor? Nobody, the answer is, because for, from him are all things. What does it mean? It means that he is the source. He is the beginning of all things. All things. So nothing comes before. Nothing informs him. Nothing is influencing God. So no one can counsel God. And his wisdom and his knowledge is not from anyone or anything else. Anything else. That's why it says, for from him are all All things. All things are from Him. The reason why man can lay no 
obligation on God is because God is the source. So a person cannot say, God, you owe me something. That's what it says at the end of verse 35. For who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Well, from him are all things. So sometimes we want to think that we've done a real good thing for God, right? We've given a little bit of money so that people can be missionaries. Or uh, we've given some time. Or we've given our heart. We've given our life. So we've given something to God. And that ought to please him, right? Like you've given him a gift that, you, that he owes you something, that he owes you favor, that he owes you maybe good health or, or a, a good day tomorrow because you went to church today. Well, who's given him a gift that he might be repaid? Well, we've not given him anything. For, because from him are all things. So even if you give him a gift, it's from him. He's the one who filled your pocket to be able to give it out. And you think, wait, wait, I filled my pocket. I worked hard this week, and I filled my pocket in order to give to missions or in order to give to the church. That was me. Don't say that was God. I sweat this week, and God did not. But God is the source. So if you used your hands to earn that money this week, well, who gave you your hands, and who gave the power to your hands? Well, God did. Who sustains your hands and who gives you breath in your lungs? Well, God did. So from him are all things. And so you've not given him a thing. You've only given him what is his and only a slight portion of it. Like a drop in a bucket. It's like a child, right, who you give money to and they go buy you a birthday present. It was your money. So it was from you. You gave yourself a beautiful gift that you probably wouldn't have chosen. And that's exactly what happens with God day in and day out. We give him things that he would not have chosen. We're like, hey, look at this great thing I brought to you, God. He's like, oh, that's nice. Um, you know, and so daily, this is what happens, is when we think that we have something great to bring God, we think all of a sudden, I've given so much to God, now he owes me. He owes me something. He doesn't owe you anything. That's why this verse begins with the word for. It's explaining the fact that you've not given a gift to God that he might repay you or give you a favor. For, from him, he's the source of all things. Don't ever forget that. That's the doctrine part. That's the teaching part. Know this with your mind. And so then when we begin to think about a worldview, the Christian and biblical worldview begins to have this as one stem of that. Okay, everything is from God. So now, everything I take in, all the information I see, everything I observe is going by this filter that says, that's from God. What's amazing is we, we can imagine that when it comes to blessing or when it comes to a good day or when it comes to beautiful sunshine. But what about difficult days and difficult diagnosis? Do you still have a Christian worldview that says it's from God? That's where it gets hard. And that's where the Christian worldview must stand and not stand on its own, where you know the entirety of the Scripture and see, okay, God is working all things for good my good, and for, as we'll discover, for his glory. So how is he using this thing? So rather than, so a person who doesn't have a Christian worldview is going to try to say, no, that's not from God. And I'm going to try to explain that away because God doesn't give me anything like that. No way God would allow me to have cancer. That's not God's will. That's, that's not a Christian worldview. A Christian biblical worldview says that's from God. And so then, Based on that, you begin to process that information from your worldview. Okay, if this is from God, what must it be for? What must it mean? 
what must God's purpose be in this thing? If it is from Him and He has allowed it in my life, and God is good, this is part of my worldview, I know God is good, I know he, he loves me, I know He takes care of me, and this is from Him. It begins to shape the way you think about stuff you're seeing and taking in and understanding. It is from Him. And it's through Him. It's the second part of the, the understanding your worldview is everything is not just from Him, good, bad, difficult, and delightful. It's from Him, but it's through Him. What, what might that mean? Well, it means that He is the accomplisher of all things. That He is the maintainer or preserver or ruler of all things. That it's through Him, that it's through His power that things are at work. So, it's easy to think about this in terms of creation. If you um, believe the Christian worldview that God made the heavens and the earth, that before Him there was nothing there, so from Him came all that we know. And then through Him, through His power, even in Genesis 1 you read of the, the, the Spirit hovering over the waters. It's through His power that all things were made and, and all things sustained. The Bible says that it is uh, by the word of His power, the, He upholds the universe. By the word of His power, He sustains it. He maintains the perfect distance between us and the sun. So we're not scorched. And, you know, some people say, well, that's, that's gravity, that's our solar system. Okay, well, where did gravity in the solar system come from? Did, did really, did order come out of chaos? That's some people's worldview. That worldview falls apart again and again and again, and it changes again and again and again, and it never improves. It doesn't evolve like they hope it would. Um, it only goes more chaos. But it is through him, then, as the sustainer of all things. And that last part of this says it is to him. What does that mean? That, that he is the point of it all. So in, in thinking in terms of creation, it is from him, and it's sustained by him, and it is what? You could say for him, or, or to him. All of this was to him. And we discussed, I don't know, months ago, just how God is not self-obsessed when he says, everything's about my glory. How that is the most loving thing that God can do, is saying that he needs to be famous in all the world. The reason for that is because that is the only way a person is truly satisfied and truly complete is when they know God. That is the only way a person can have uh, eternal joy is when they know God through Jesus. And so, for God to say, you need to spread my name to the ends of the earth, he's not self-obsessed for his own good. He doesn't need that. But he knows that it is the greatest good for his creation. It's for all to know him and to obey Him, and to love Him. And so, when He created all things, they're for Him. They're for His honor. They're for His praise. They're for His adoration. They are for His purposes. It's amazing how you read the Bible and you see God's purposes are so not like what we do. We would never choose what God chose. Like, if we were the people of Israel trapped in Egypt in slavery, we probably even as slightly compassionate people, would not have wished the death of the, everyone's firstborn son of the Egyptians. We would not have wished that. But yet, God made that happen. And we're for. That was from him, and it was through his power, and it was to him, to his glory. And you read the account 
in Exodus, and you're just amazed at the people who said, that's God. It's to him. It's to him. We see this in, in creation, but we also see these things in life. Everything that we have is, is from God. And it's through God, and it's to him. But more importantly than just creation and just life, not, not just the things seen, but the things unseen. The things at the heart of the self-obsessed people. What about that? We've talked about creation. What about recreation of a broken heart who is so self-obsessed, they only look within themselves, they can't love God, they can't love other people because they are number one. What is God to do from that? Well, just like it says here, it's all things. So from him, and through him, and to him are all things. Therefore... When a heart that is broken and a heart that is warped, a heart that is so inwardly focused, self-obsessed, whether that's through pity or through open pride, a person who is so looking inward, what is God to do about that person? Well, from Him comes Christ. And through Christ's death and resurrection comes forgiveness. And to Him is our life. And his glory. That's a plan that, again, we would never have thought up. We, we would never even conceive of that in our minds. And we know that's true because the people who long anticipated him, the Jewish people who awaited this, this plan unfolding of, of God coming and being their rescuer, they didn't even imagine that this was true. What happened with Jesus? What do you mean he came and he was born in a, in a slub, like dirty stable? What do you mean he was weak? What do you mean that he was beaten and mocked? What do you mean he was homeless? That, that's not our king. That's not some ruling, reigning guy. That's not our plan. He's not strong enough for our plan. But yet, that was God's perfect plan. It was, it was from him. And it was through him that you and I would ever see the, the purpose of the plan. If you just take it at face value, man born, man lives as a homeless guy, dies as a criminal, and now he's missing. Maybe whatever. Like it's not a big deal. But, but when you realize what it truly is and who this really was, and you're only going to come to see that through him. Through his eyes that he has given you. Through a heart and a new life that he has given you. Just like there is creation that now is through him. There is a recreation that is through him. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. As in, you didn't do it. You would never have done it. You were too weak and too powerless. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were blinded to this beauty of the gospel. That we couldn't see why Jesus died and why that made sense and and how it was that I could be forgiven through that. I was blind. But through him, through his power, through his purpose, he opens eyes to see that Jesus died taking my sin. My sin. Upon himself, and God's anger and wrath, do my sin, was all on Jesus. 
So, so the suffering of Jesus was not simply physical like the other two criminals that day. The suffering of Jesus was spiritual. Then all the sin that was mine was counted to him and he paid for it in full. That's why I was lonely. That's why it was empty. That's why he cried, why have you forsaken me? This plan was not through human inventions. It was through him and it was not through human strength. It was through his strength. And this plan was also to him. It was from him, it was through him, and it was to him. It was for his glory. It was for his glory. Jesus said it himself in John 17, I've come to glorify my Father. That was the purpose of his coming was all things would be to Him. He's the point of it all. Not you, not me. It's interesting, though. I think we mentioned that last week or the week before, was the self-obsessed mind when we think, well, why did Jesus come? Well, He came to save me from my sins. Yes, He did, indeed. But that's not the heart of the purpose. The heart of the purpose was Him. His glory restored, because the reality is, when you and I are in sin, we are preaching lies about God. You and I were created to, to, to be people who perfectly reflected God in all of His beauty and love and characteristics. We were meant that way. And when we sinned, we break that. And so when people look at us, they say, who is God? They're supposed to look at us and say, God is lovely, and God is uh, compassionate, and God is kind, and God is creative, and God is so tender. They're supposed to, but we are so broken in our sin In every single one of them, in our lies, in our lust, in everything, God looks at us and he sees the sinfulness of our own hearts. And people are supposed to look at us and see God. But they also see the broken sinfulness. So when Jesus came, it wasn't first and foremost to make you feel better about your own sin and to like just pet your ego to make you feel like you're not that bad of a person anymore. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to restore his glory. To, to recreate his image in us. So then, as he begins to shape us and mold us into more like Jesus once again, then people can begin to look at us and say, well, God is kind. I see that in you. God must be patient because you're becoming more patient. The more you get to know God, the more you're becoming a lovely person to be around. We're beginning to have our, our creation recreated in us. So therefore, it is to him. That's the purpose of our recreation. And, and one day, when we will spend eternity with Him, it's to Him as well. For His glory, we point to Him. So all things are from Him, and through Him, and to Him. And so that's the doctrine, that's the teaching of it all. But then what does it translate into life? If those are the kind of the, the filters that we filter our information with, God, everything is from God, it's through God's power, and it's to God, then, then how do we live? How do we filter that and then live? This is the devotion part. At the end of chapter, verse 36, it says, To Him be the glory forever. Amen. That is the Christian worldview. Everything is filtered through those words. To Him be the glory forever. And so, when you make decisions, is this going to glorify God? Is this going to bring praise and adoration to Him or is it going to distract people from my relationship with God? That's the Christian worldview, is to Him be the glory forever. What you spend your money on, is this going to glorify God? What house you buy, what church you attend, what people you surround yourself with, is this going to bring praise to God or is it not? This is how the Christian lives. To Him be glory. 
Whatever you do, Colossians says, whether in word or in deed, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, do it all for the glory of God. Everything we do is meant to go and point people to, to say that we're not the end, that it's not about me. The world does not revolve around me. It revolves around Him. He is the center of it all. That's what the story of my life is supposed to tell. My life is so broken in that, and if you're a Christian, your life is broken in that too. We don't tell that story very well because we still have this self-obsessed brokenness in our hearts. But God does shape that. He does make it new. He is making it new in a slow, progressive way so that the end would be to Him be the glory forever. That's the Christian worldview. That's the end of every Christian life. It's filtering all that you do, all that you say, all that you think, all that you watch, all that you wear, every place you go, every place you don't go, to Him be the glory. That's the filter of the Christian worldview. It's an amazingly simple filter that that you don't have to know much about. You don't have to have a great intelligent mind. You just need to know those words, to Him be the glory, and to understand them. What does it mean for God to get glory? And what does it mean for God to be robbed of glory? Well, when I sin, I rob God of glory. So therefore, it's the will of God that I, in all the power He gives me and sustains me with, to avoid sin. That's the point of the Christian life. That's the point of life altogether. We were created for this as human beings. He made us to reflect His image, and he's recreating us so that we can live this way indeed. It's an amazing thing to, to come to the realization that, that you displease God. It's an amazing thing to realize that you've offended the holy God by your life, by your actions, by your thinking. And then to say, well, what can I do now? What, what can I do? The Bible says repent. Turn from that. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop thinking you're good enough. We're not. We're self-obsessed, and even in our thinking, I'm good enough, it's, I'm good enough. I have something to offer God. Stop. The Bible says stop. You're always going to let yourself down if you're looking and banking on yourself. Repent of that. Turn from that. Run from that. And cling to Jesus. He's enough. He's sufficient. And when you find yourself and you hide yourself in Jesus, then you're satisfied. Then God is doing something all new in your life. And you can begin to live this way. To Him be the glory forever. That is the single desire of a Christian. doesn't mean we don't have other desires. doesn't mean other things don't get to make decisions on. No, no. But we run them through this filter. Does this bring glory to my God? My God who, who loved me enough to, to save me from my sin. To rescue me from my eternal plight. God has loved me so much. So do I want to give Him glory? That is the Christian worldview. And so everything we do in obedience is to God's glory. And so I hope that's your life. I hope that's your desire, that this verse resounds in you. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. That helps you filter. Therefore, to Him be the glory forever. He he deserves praise because everything's from Him. He deserves praise because He sustains everything. It's through Him. And he deserves praise because it's all pointing to him. Let's praise God together and let's pray. Oh God, you are a great and holy God, a God who made us 
And you made us for a purpose that we have so walked away from, God. We are so in love with ourselves. We confess that. We confess we have a need of you to, to break that in us. God, we, we can't rely on ourselves and, and maintain a, a life and a hope in ourselves. God, we are so hopeless. We are so thankful that Christ has come, that he has come as perfect and as God to stand on our behalf as a, in between between you and, and humanity. And God, we are so thankful that he obeyed even to death on the cross, that he took our sin upon himself and that he rose again to prove that it was not just a fluke, it was not just an accident of his death, but uh, he was risen to conquer death once and for all for those who would trust so that, God, when we believe in him and we're forgiven in him, that we can have a hope. So, God, we thank you for that hope, and I pray uh, for anyone without that hope, when they're just hoping in themselves and they realize in the mirror that they are a letdown, God, that they would come and look to Jesus, that they would find in him a friend, they would find in him someone who would love them, who would forgive them as they are, and who would shape them and mold them into be something new. Well, God, we thank you for the goodness of this gospel, and we pray that you would receive all honor and glory as we live it out. In Jesus' name, amen.